There are three things we want you to take away from this class. How to open an airway and knowing when to open an airway. How to control bleeding. How to recognize and treat shock. We want to talk a little bit about disaster medicine. We talk about death by trauma. And when I say trauma, I mean uh, it's where the body is acted upon by an outside force. First type of death by trauma is instantaneous, occurs within minutes. Okay, are we going to do much for these people or as you as a civilian rescuer going to help this person very much? Not so much. Maybe in the pre-disaster situation, uh, making a place safer. But once somebody gets hit with, with something heavy and uh, they die in, within minutes, you're not going to help. The second type occurs within several minutes of the injury, from bleeding to death or having their airway blocked or having some unrecognized uh, medical problem. This is the group we're going to try to help. Now, the third type who died days or weeks afterwards from infections or uh, things that go wrong with their uh, uh, recovery process, we can help by delivering proper first aid and, and keeping things clean, but this is not our target group. These are the people we want you to be aware of in the middle. Now, people are talking a little bit about blood. And this brings up the concept of rescuer protection. Gloves, eye protection, masks, sanitation, and hand washing. Who among us is willing to bet their life they don't have a nick or a cut on their hand? Because that's what you're asking. Is Are you going to touch somebody's blood? Your skin, your intact skin will protect you from most infections for most blood-borne illnesses. However, if you have a cut in your hand, then you have a path for infection to get inside you. So what you want to do is have a pair of latex gloves, uh, several pairs of latex gloves that you can have, that you can put on and change as you go from patient to patient, hopefully. At least wash your hands, somehow uh, disinfect your hands between patient contacts. Your eyes are basically an open wound. And you're, it is a path for infection to join, to get into your body. Glasses, great idea. Take your old glasses and throw them in your disaster kit. Take an old old prescription, so at least you'll have something to wear if you lose your, uh, your first line pair. Face mask, of course, dust, dust, dirt. All of these things, uh, all these disasters, they tend to throw up a lot of dust and dirt especially if it's in a, during a drier season. Push comes to shove a, uh, a bandana. Sanitation. Waterless disinfection. After a disaster is not a time to let your hygiene slip. It's a time to tighten it up. Uh, communicable diseases. Hepatitis, tuberculosis, and HIV. We have a rule in the San Francisco Fire Department. If it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. Okay? Gloves. Every patient contact. Don't touch blood. Okay? It's a good, it's a good rule to live by. Ah, rescuer health. Uh, Giardia. Hepatitis A, Salmonella, and tetanus. Giardia is a parasite. Lives in the, lives in most of the fresh water in California. It is assumed to be in all the fresh water in California. You get enough of these little parasites inside of you and you will be in the bathroom every 20 minutes for about three or four weeks, and you won't be happy about it.
make sure that you have water, clean, safe water stored in your disaster kit. Make sure that you are aware of the source of the water you are drinking. Hepatitis A, we talked about that. Wash your hands. Salmonella. It's a foodborne illness, and it's important that you think about what you're eating. Is this safe? Should I be eating this? Don't eat things that are off-color or not properly prepared. Know where your food comes from. Tetanus. Tetany uh, refers to tetany. It's a disease that you get from, you know, oh, you step on a rusty nail. Well, it's not exclusively rusty nails. It is endemic in the environment. You can get tetanus. If you get a cut, you get an open wound. And tetanus is, is a disease that, that kills many people in the third world, and it used to kill people here, but we don't die from it because we have a vaccine. Okay? Get the vaccine. The killers, airway, bleeding, shock, ABS. These are always the first things you check for with any patient you see. If they don't have an airway, they can't breathe. And if they're not breathing, what are they? Dead. Very good. We'll review that. That's a, that's a basic point. Okay. If you're bleeding, well, it, it, it's important to keep in mind that most bleeding stops on its own. All bleeding stops eventually. <laughs> that's a small medical joke. Okay. Um, and shock. If you're in shock, you need to see a doctor. Okay. So we want to check for these things and we want everybody to check for them. Scene safety. The rule is no hurt nurts. Okay. We don't want you to go in, run in, try to help somebody, and have something fall on you and get, and, and get you hurt. Look, listen, and feel. How do you tell if somebody's breathing? I look, listen, and feel. You ever, you ever put your, your chin to your chest? And it gets a little tougher to breathe. Tilt your head back, and it's easier to get a breath. What we do is we tilt the head back, lifts the jaw up off of the airway, and it opens the airway. This, this young lady is in the classic Rassusiani position. You take, take first aid, take a CPR class, and there's always Rassusiani. Rassusiani is always lying on the floor looking at the ceiling. In a disaster and in actual pre-hospital medicine, you don't find people in this position very often. Sometimes I walk up to a person and I can't tell whether they're breathing or not. If you can't tell that they're breathing, you have to get closer and you have to sometimes touch the person. You have to shake and shout. He says, hey, are you all right? Or as we learned in CPR class, Annie, Annie, are you all right? And no response. And then you touch Annie. Shake Annie. No response. So what you do is you, is you have to put the person in a neutral position, roll them on their back, so that you can open the airway. If you think they're not breathing. If they are breathing... If you go and you shake Annie and, or you talk to Annie and, they, and she says, hey, hey, go away, I'm, I'm sleeping here, you don't have to move her. How much blood do you have? About six liters. How much of this red fluid would it take to soak the front of my shirt? Not very much. It would take, you know, one of these little lobes in the bottom here, you know, a little, a half an ounce would, would coat the front of my shirt. Now, if I was to take this and pour it out on this uh, wooden floor, it would make a big mess, right? It'd go all over the place. So it's difficult to gauge blood loss by what you're looking at. There's an emotional component to it. But be aware that this 
is a lot of blood. Bleeding controlled direct pressure, elevation, and pressure point. To stop bleeding, you put direct pressure on the wound. Then you do direct pressure and elevation, and you do direct pressure, elevation, and a pressure point. Direct pressure on the wound, dressing goes on it, and a bandage holds it in place. Oh my gosh, the dressing is soaked through. What do I do? Do I take it off and throw it away? No. Put another one on top of it and hold tighter. Okay? Get a good grip on it. If you elevate the affected part, it will reduce the blood pressure in the affected part and make it harder for the blood to come out. And we'll talk about two pressure points in the human body. Brachial pressure point in the upper arm here and this one in around the pelvis. And you can practice this one at home with a friend. We'll do this one here. Okay. Take your uh, left arm and hold it up. 90 degrees here. Take the four fingers of this hand, not your thumb, but your four fingers, and you find that there's a muscle on top and a muscle below, and in the middle, there's a bone. And you feel along the, the bone with your four fingers, and somewhere in there, you'll find a pulse. And what you do is you find this pulse, and you mush it up against the bone. And if somebody was taking your pulse at your wrist at this time, the pulse would disappear. Okay? What you do, what you're doing is you're reducing the flow of blood to the affected part, to the arm. Okay? What you're not doing is blocking the venous return. You're not, uh, sequestering blood, as we say, in the affected part. You're not locking, you're not blocking it off entirely. Because if you blocked it off entirely, what would that be called? A tourniquet. We don't. We try not to use the T word in uh, in uh, disaster medicine. We would prefer to stay away from tourniquets. Tourniquets are uh, too often used. Way too often used by the unskilled public. What you need to do is direct pressure, elevation, and pressure point before you even think about a tourniquet. What's this patient suffering from? Yeah, Kabuki syndrome. You know, a little, little too much makeup. But what we're trying, what we're going for here is shock. Okay. And if you, there's a, there's a little, uh, uh, little phrase here, comfort and reassurance. Victims don't care what you know. They just know that, they just want to know that you care. I'm going to be busy. Doctors and uh, emergency personnel are going to be busy. They're not going to have time to comfort people. Lives can be saved by the vigilance of untrained personnel. If you keep an eye on somebody, if you're there to, you know, a family member, you sit with a person. Pat a hand, mop a fevered brow. These are important things. And these are the things that NERT volunteers can do. Shock. What is shock? It's the inadequate perfusion of the body's cells. That can lead to not enough oxygen to the brain. Your brain needs two things to work. Oxygen and sugar. Okay? You run out of either one of those and brain cells start to die. If blood isn't getting up there, you're not getting either one of those. And 
How many people here have ever seen somebody faint? You ever seen somebody, you know, uh, oh, they get some bad news, or they cut their foot, or, you know, and did you need a doctor to tell you that there's something wrong with this person? I mean, you look at them, and they don't look good. You know, you don't have to be a pro to notice that that, and when somebody's fainting, that's shock. And fainting, uh, fainting is uh, nature's way of telling you to lie down. Signs and symptoms of shock? Confusion. Uh, uh, confused, disoriented, unconscious. Skin will be pale, cool, and moist. The pulse will be rapid. Digestion, you have, you have a, a problem here because you're nauseous and you're thirsty. Or you can be first thirsty and then nauseous. Give somebody, oh, I'm thirsty, oh, I'm thirsty, oh, sure, here, have a bottle of water. They knock back a bottle of water and then they get nauseous. And then they throw up. Oh, wait a minute, they're having trouble with their consciousness. They go unconscious and they throw up. Not so good. Okay? This is, people die that way. You don't want to be, the rule is nothing by mouth in the pre-hospital field. In, in the field, nothing by mouth. The treatment for shock is remarkably simple. Lay them down, raise their feet about a foot, and keep them warm because they'll be very, they tend to be chilly because their body decides well, geez, I'm not getting enough blood to my head. I'm not sending any blood to the skin. And so they'll feel cold. So you want to keep them, keep them warm. If your patients should never shiver. First thing is always scene safety. Don't go rushing in, especially as a volunteer that, you know, and your training is not up there. What we want you to do is be very cautious when you approach people. <laughs> Norm, Norm, are you all right? If I can't tell that he's breathing, I have to get a little closer. You go, Norm, you all right? Give him a, give him a shake. Give him a little nudge, you know. Is he okay? Are you okay? No response. If there's no response, then you have to look. Wait a minute. Is he breathing? Now, if he's got a filing cabinet on top of him or, there's, or he's covered with debris, you know, maybe you could pull some of that away so that you can evaluate his breathing. Put him in a neutral position. And it is okay to move them. Neck injuries are exceedingly rare. They are very dangerous, but they're also very rare. So, and besides, if you're not breathing, what are you? <laughs> so, what you do is you move them gently, you know. And we're not we're not trained. So, what, what you do is you just move somebody gently, using your your common sense as an individual to roll them over onto, onto his back. And you look, listen, and feel, not breathing. Uh-oh, I better open his airway. Push down on the forehead a little bit, and you lift up, and there's a little notch under here, you know, because it's a U-shaped bone. And you lift up, and this will open the airway. Now, you'll notice that this position, especially on a flat surface, is a little, it's a little uncomfortable. He's not going to stay in this position. So, since you're inert people, and NERT people always work in teams, and you always have your NERT manual with you. What you might do is have two or three manuals and put them, four or five manuals, put them together and slide them under his shoulders. Or you could take a shoe off and put it under his shoulders, and that will make it so his head flops back a little bit, and that will keep his airway open. While you attend to this, oh my gosh, he's bleeding. He's breathing, but he's not breathing, but now he's bleeding.
So, direct pressure. Mmm, still bleeding. Put another, uh, uh, pa uh, excuse me, dressing on. You can hold it in place with a, with a bandage. Or if he wakes up, you can tell him, hold on to this or you're going to die. Okay? <laughs> he tends to hold on nice and, nice and tight. Okay? And it's still bleeding. Okay, well, let's, let's find this pulse point in here and we'll push against the bone there and it will slow the blood. It's, oh, good. Bleeding stopped. I'm going to hold on to that for a while, make sure that it doesn't, make sure that the blood, bleeding doesn't reoccur. And, uh, geez, this guy ought to see a doctor. He's got a cut here, it's real bad. And in fact, we could tell he could see it, should see a doctor because he's got sweat popping up, beating up on his forehead, looking a little pale. Hmm. So, what do we do for somebody that's pale and, you know, sweaty and not, not responding very well? What you want to do, is raises feet about a foot. And you can get creative about how you do it, but you need something to put under his feet. Uh, you take a chair, you put it on its side. Uh, you could take his shoes off and put them under his feet. Um, you take some of these bags that are lying around over here, okay, with permission or not, you know, and stick it under his legs and, and uh, keep his, so that the blood will flow out of his legs and up to his mush where he needs it. Okay. So now that you know how to treat patients, what I'm going to start talking about is something called triage. Triage is going to tell you who to treat. We're going to teach you how to sort patients. And when you sort patients, one of the big things that people don't understand, when you sort patients, it's different than treating patients. So you have to sort patients first so you know what you have. And then once you know what you have, you could go ahead and treat them by doing the things you learned in the first half from Steve. The goal of triage just happens to be the motto of NERT, which is do the most good for the most people. If, this, if there's an earthquake right now and this ceiling collapsed, there's about 40 people in here, 40, maybe a little more people in here. And if I'm the one rescuer that's coming to you and the first person I come up to is not breathing and doesn't have a pulse, do, would you want me to stop and do CPR for this person before I reached you? What if there's 500 people behind that person? Do we want to stop and take up however long it takes to do CPR for one person if the very next person, all I have to do is open an airway? When we triage patients, there's four categories that we triage patients. All patients fall under either, and I'm going to use colors. They're either green, which are walking wounded. That's anybody who walks. D for delayed or yellow, meaning you're hurt, but you're not hurt enough. Uh, you're hurt, but you're not hurt that bad. We'll just put it that way for now. I or red for immediate, meaning you're hurt and you should probably go first. All right. And D is dead. Dead is probably the easiest one to determine. How do we know somebody is dead? From they're not breathing. Right. Steve said that several times. How do we know if somebody's not breathing? We look, listen, and feel. We open the airway, right? We open the airway. We look. We look to see if the chest is rising and falling. We listen to see if we could hear air and see if we could feel, right? So we look, listen, and feel. How long do we check for, actually? American Red Cross or American Heart Association says 
about 10 seconds. So you check for 10 seconds. If they're still not breathing, we try to open the airway more or readjust the airway. How, how long do we check? 10 seconds again. And then if they're not breathing for the second time, that's when we say they're dead. Okay, so when I ask if they're dead, you're gonna say, we've checked the airway twice, okay? And as soon as you know somebody's dead, you move on. Let's go through these categories. The walking wounded. Uh, these are people who follow directions and anybody who could get up and walk, they're categorized green. D is delayed. That means, again, anybody that has, is injured but we don't think it's life-threatening, I, again, are the people who need treatment right now, the people that need to go first, and the Ds are the black. During triage, when you treat somebody, all you're going to do is open an airway. How long does it take to open an airway? Two seconds, right? How long does it take to actually check? Ten seconds, right? If they're not breathing after 20 seconds, then they're dead. Uh, bleeding, the only bleeding I want you to treat during triage is arterial bleeding. So the type of bleeding where it's spurting out. Because if it's spurting out, uh, you could bleed to death in probably about three minutes. And then, of course, shock. If this person was unconscious on this chair, how do I treat for shock? We lay them down, so I'd lay you down, lift up your feet, cover you. That doesn't take very long, right? It takes 10, 15 seconds, and then I move on. The categories. Remember the categories. Uh, black are people who are dead. Green are the people who are walking, right? So anybody, anybody who can get up and walk, you're green. The only two categories left are red and yellow. This rule here that I'm going to teach you right now, I want you to memorize it, because this is the rule that's going to determine whether you're red or you're yellow. The rule is 32 can do. I want everybody to say that with me. 32 can do. It's a three-part rule. 30. First part. 30 is respirations. It's the amount of respirations per minute. If somebody is breathing faster than 30 times per minute, they fail. 30 times per minute is about a breath every two seconds, right? If, we do, if my math is correct. If I breathe, that's, about, that's faster than 30, right? If you have a patient that breathes faster than 30 seconds, they fail, they're red automatically. If you fail any of these three, you're red automatic. Tag them red and you move on. If someone's breathing normal, then uh, you go to the next rule. They passed, you go to the next rule. So there are uh, 32 is blood refill. It's also called capillary refill. It's also called the Blanche test. Capillary refill, if you look at the palm of your hand or your fingertip, uh, they usually do it in the nail beds. Uh, your nail beds are usually pink. If you squeeze, you could do it on yourself right now, if you squeeze your finger, it turns white. When you let go, the pink returns. And everybody in this room, I hope the pink returns within two seconds. Two seconds is going to be our limit. That's why it's 32. We want, uh, if, you, if the pink comes back within two seconds, you pass. Okay, if the pink come, takes longer than two seconds, you fail, tag them red, you move on to the next patient. Okay, so we have two rules. 30 respirations, they're breathing faster, they fail. Uh, if the Blanche test is greater than two seconds, they fail. Uh, and can do, the third part of the rule, 32, can do. Can do means if somebody can follow simple commands. Look at me. Tell me your name. Give me your hand. 
If they could follow simple commands, then they pass. If I say, look at me, and they're not looking at me. If I say, tell me your name, and they don't do anything. Or give me your hand, and they do something else. They fail. If they fail, you tag them red, you move on to the next patient. This is one of the harder things that the, our, our NERC volunteers have grasped, is how to triage. So green patients, remember, anybody who walks. Black patients are anybody who's dead. We know they're dead because you checked it twice. And then all that's left is red and yellow. You're yellow if you pass. 32 can do. You're red if you fail. Either of those three parts of the rule. 32 can do. 32 can do. We're going to try this right now. Okay, we'll, we'll stop here. We'll stop here because I, I think we get the point. Who are the first patients that you guys came in contact with? Okay, so that's, and you were tagged yellow. Uh, what was, and you tagged your yellow because? Well, she was throwing up, but she was breathing. Okay, so she was breathing less than 30. If her breathing is normal, less than 30. Cap refill is normal, less than two. And she can follow commands, tag her yellow. So she would have been tagged correctly. So what was your deal? Good. And you tagged her red. Well, I just got caught up in the fact that she said she was bleeding profusely and spurting. So, the easy one. She's walking. What do you tag her? Green. Green. This is the weird one. This is probably, this is probably, I should have probably got to you last. But she's green because she's walking. Very good. This patient. Okay. Uh, I've gone kind of dingy. Very good. We tagged her red. Because? She wasn't responding to instructions. She was just mentally gone. Very good. She doesn't have any bleeding. And tagged red correctly. Very good. Triage. Triage. I hope you guys could do it. Just remember, 32 can-dos is what divides the reds and the yellows. Greens are all the walking wounded. Blacks are all dead. Okay? It's as simple as that. Okay? How long should you take with a patient? Shouldn't take more than 15 seconds, right? How long does it, how long does it take, take to check breathing? If someone's breathing, you know right away when you walk up to them. It takes a couple seconds to ask uh, for a command. It takes two seconds to check this, right? 15 seconds per patient at the most. Now, switching modes here. Uh, some common injuries are bruising, lacerations, fractures, sprains, strains. These are the types of things that you physically that physically will hurt you. Signs and symptoms that you will see are pain, tenderness, swelling, discoloration, deformity, some, some of the treatments. You want to be able to see wounds that you, if you see blood through a shirt, you might want to rip the shirt open just to see what it is so you can actually treat it. Because if, if you see blood here and you rip the shirt open, you find, oh, there's no wound in there. The blood was coming from somewhere else. So you want to see what you're treating. Okay, controlling bleeding, we showed you how to do that. Immobilize the joints above and below an injury. If somebody has an impaled object, never remove it because by the time you get to them, it's probably embedded in there. And if you pull it out, you'll you could cause more bleeding, which would not be good. Burns. Burns, uh, three types of burns. First, second, and third degree. First degree, sunburn. Second degree, blistering. Third degree, full thickness, charring. You'll see it. So treating burns. Remove the heat source. So, of course, if, if it's smoking, cool it off. Once it's cooled off, cover the person because our skin is what helps keep our heat in. Once we lose the skin, 
Now we are concerned with hypothermia, getting too cold, believe it or not. So if somebody is burned, make sure that whatever's burning is not burning anymore. Once they're not burned anymore, the rules are keep it clean, keep them warm. Okay? And don't forget your ABS, of course, airway breathing or airway bleeding shock. Whatever you do, know your limits, know your physical condition, mental condition, know what you're capable of. And you'll know that the more you get involved with the NERT teams and you start working with them, some of them meet once a month, some of them meet, uh, you know, every couple months. Uh, but you get to review this stuff. You get to know what you can do. Physically, everybody pretty much knows what they can do. They can know if they, if they can lift people. Mentally is another thing. We're going to talk a little bit about disaster psychology next week. But mentally, you kind of know what you can face. Some people say they can't look at blood. Some people say they can't stand a child screaming. You know, so know your limits. Stick to your limits. And don't become a victim yourself. <laughs>